Hello, the Health Peoples Club. Celeste here. Um, I just wanted to let you know that this week's episode I recorded on my own with our guest. Sarah is away, but she'll be back very, very, very soon. Um, as you'll hopefully hear in the podcast, um, the guest and I touch on some topics which we're really passionate about, and therefore we kind of went off a little bit in a, in a tangent. But I, it's one certainly not to be missed, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Okay, welcome back to the Health People's Club podcast. We are on episode number seven, and today I am joined by Richard Hill, aka Tricky Ricky. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited to have Tricky on with us today. Um, Tricky or Richard, not really sure what I should be calling you, but we'll go with Tricky because I think most people know you by that. Um, is a father, an athlete, founder, and owner of Gritstone. CrossFit. He has served in the British military and also has a degree in sports science. He is also, I'm going to call you like an Instagram and TikTok sensation. Um, but yeah, welcome to the podcast, Tricky. Hello. Yeah, everyone calls me kind of Tricky if they know me off um, CrossFit and everyone else just calls me Richard if they know me from home. But it really feels really weird when uh, <laughs> when people who don't know me call me Richard, like the first name me. I'm a little bit like, whoa, you crossed the line, man. Yeah, just tricky will do for everybody. That's absolutely fine with me. Um, and, and do you know what? I'm just going to get cracking with straight away. Like, first of all, like, who is Tricky? But also, where did that name actually come from? So uh, just my cousins used to call me Ricky the Rat or Tricky Ricky, depending what mood they were in when they used to tease me. Because I have all older cousins, not younger cousins. I'm the, the youngest one. Um, and when it came to Instagram, I think Ricky the Rat was taken. So I just went with Tricky Ricky. <laughs> And now I guess suppose most people who know you from Instagram will see you. And what what about if you went to a competition? Would people be like, hey, tricky, or would they call you Richard? People well, people go to competition now. When I used to go to competitions um a couple of years ago, people just say, You're right, tricky, how's it going? Can we have a quick picture of me? Say hello. And now people just record me on their phone as I'm walking past. It's oh. it's very much changed. How's that? Is it like is it like a claim to fame or is it like hey that's rude please don't do that? I don't know. It's really amusing though. Uh, it's really amusing because you know you know if, if to be well known for like uh, I don't know writing a book or doing a play or something is quite cool, but when your only like talent is doing burpees, it's a bit weird. You're just like just say hello. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> and why would you want to record me? As if you're like oh my god, I saw a bloke that lives down the road and does burpees. I better record this. My friends won't possibly believe me. It's quite weird. <laughs> Recently, the past couple of comps, it's been weird because people do come and take photos and say hello, which is really nice, especially if they ask training questions or they, you know, if they follow some sort of program that we do, that's pretty awesome. Um, but yeah, more and more recently, people have been like more, more like just, they just look at you from a distance suspiciously. Yeah. 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 yeah that you is a bit that, Straight what? after, what was it? Like straight after lockdown, most people who came up to me were people who'd watched them. Um, first dates that was that that was a lot there was a lot of people who watched first dates who came up to me for for a good few months but then I shaved my beard off and then now nobody knows who I am so that's fine when you're on first dates though they were referring to you as Richard right they weren't they, yeah. nobody referred to as Tricky Ricky no no they didn't they could, they, nobody could remember my name they could never remember my name they could just remember the program and who I was but they couldn't never, they never remember the details but they always came across <laughs> it was quite funny <laughs> Well, do you know what? At least you're well known for something. And to be fair, that is very humble because you are an absolutely incredible athlete. So good, um, at, burpees. So good at burpees. 
Like that's the only thing I can actually do. <laughs> anything fitness, don't ask me to do anything other than a birthday or a run. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so well, how did you get into sport then? What's your background? What's your sporting background? Uh, I just played everything. My mum was um, a really good athlete and then she was a sports teacher. She ended up head of Sixth Form College Sport in Oldham, which was a really successful um, college in the sense that it was built after the race riots in Oldham, this brand new, beautiful college that was huge, very different to other colleges at the time, massive. Um, and they invited specialist teachers in. So rather than invite... Um, Perhaps what you might say is like, I don't know, maybe it was the first time they used to have these super teachers, whatever you called them. Do you know what I mean? Like specialists yeah. in an area. They brought my mum in and she wasn't as much a teacher as she was a person who was really passionate about sport and exercise. And she got to choose her own staff. She got to design the building. She got to talk about the curriculum. And because the idea was for this college was to do more than just obviously teach people. It was to, following the race riots, it was to bring some sort of community and integration together and, and make these uh, young people uh, feel, I don't know, solve some problems, I would say. And sport, my mum really passionately believed that sport was a solution for that. So uh, she had the, the, this huge budget and she had the opportunity to build a, a department where they weren't teachers as much. And I know because I went there myself um, and we everyone just absolutely loved sport at Oldham Sixth Form and they were fantastic at it. We had like, I remember they won the they won like national championships in everything. And we used to go against huge private schools, but we'd win national championships in everything. Um and we'd compete in everything because the college was so diverse that people could do could do all sorts of things. I remember we had a Commonwealth Games gold medalist in trampolining. We had like, these two young lads that were like unreal at, at table tennis of all things. Um, we had a, like um, a championship basketball team. Obviously, our rugby league team was outstanding. The netball team were the, were the British champions twice back to back. And it was all just because what we, what we found, my mum found was people just passionate about sport and, and stuff. So when I was like about, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years old mum mum had you know was part of this this built this this build this new new college and from there i would get the bus from school and go and play sport every night at the college with all these students um so my background was just playing at playing everything that they did and then i suppose i started getting decent at sport i played for oldham athletic football club as a goalkeeper because my, my sister played england netball and she used to throw the ball at me really hard so i could catch and on a football team there's only one place you need to catch and that's in goal and then I played Manchester Giants basketball. Um, I used to figure skate as well, national level. Um, I think I was third in the country trampolining when I learned at college. Um, I was, what else did I do? Oh, I used to dance. I danced till I was like 25. I was in West Side Story and stuff. I was on TV when I was a kid. Then um, I went to, I went, what did I do after that? Oh, ski seasons. I did some ski seasons and snowboarding. Uh, I went to America because I used to race bikes as well, like like, like make some money racing, racing bikes. And uh, in America, I learned to fly trapeze. I spent two years on a flying trapeze rig, being a trapeze artist. And then uh, what did I do after that? Played rugby um, for, in the Air Force for my like brigade and for I think the Air Force rugby league team, whatever it was. And then uh, what did I do after that? CrossFit. I started doing CrossFit. And then that's what I've been doing since. That is so impressive. I had no idea that you'd been involved in so many sports. Not that I should, but that is, that's really cool. And that, I suppose that kind of explains like why you might have got into CrossFit because you need so many different skills that kind of come from a variety of different sports. So you say like dancing and then obviously you need sort of the, maybe like the more gymnastics style skills and then the strength, which I imagine has come a lot from like the rugby element of what yeah. you've done in the past. I think, I think as well, my mum's been very keen to always like to teach me stuff. I remember I wanted to learn a back somersault 
I don't know why I'm so bad. I wasn't by myself when I was younger. And we were in France at Dune de Pila. So mum taught me on the sand dune how to do a back somersault. And we just like, I just learned how to do a back somersault on the on the sand dune with my mum one day. That was quite cool. And then I forgot how to do it. And then and then kind of retaught myself as I got older again. And by reteaching myself, I said, I want to do a somersault again. And I was like kind of teaching myself how to do it. And I was like doing like this jump and, and tuck. And I was like, right, all I need to jump and tuck and lean back. I'm sure I'll do this. And I got a crash mat out to do it on. And my mum said, don't use a crash mat. And I said, why not? She said, if the crash mat's there and you think it's going wrong, you'll bail out for the crash mat and you could really hurt yourself. Just do it on concrete. And that way you'll either commit to it and make it or you'll commit to it and you won't. But the chances are the concrete will scare you into really just, just 100% committing to this, this somersault and you'll probably make it. Oh, that was my, my mum's idea of teaching me how to do my somersault. Don't use a mat, just send Your it. Your mum sounds so cool. Yeah, she's born. So cool. Yeah, so I, I suppose like um, sport has been like a massive part of growing up um, yeah. with your sister playing at such a high level I think yeah. you said that your mum your mum also has played sport at a high level she's a yeah mum played um quite a high level sport um and then my dad also was 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 really good he, he played um British police rugby league and rugby union concurrently um he played lots of sports though my dad uh, my dad was a a great sportsman in, in like so many so many areas but i think we just all like to play all different sports really that's what, what we're, we're good at is just doing a bit of everything and i think for me is i always was encouraged by unusual sports sports are a bit different so i mean like ended up on the trapeze was a good example um i just i like the challenge of something totally different and uh and i don't i don't think i'm i think because i've got parents that were good at it and were, were, were encouraging I've never been afraid to, to to just totally try something new and, and something like the trapeze is a good example where there's a lot it's, it's quite scary but when, when you settle yourself down and just think about what you're doing it's actually a very simple thing to do to fly, to fly the trapeze it's quite straightforward um it just takes a little bit of commitment like you say but you have to just let the fear go um and i think we were talking the other day me and my mom saying about this, with samson uh my son like i love the way americans do it they just fill the kids with confidence to try everything and I just tell him all the time, like, that's brilliant, son. Keep going. Good effort. Good try. Keep going. Because I think that the thing that got me relatively good at sport, my sister relatively good at sport, was the fact that, like, honestly, I, I mean, my parents kind of encouraged me whether I won, lost, or did something in between. And I remember we'd work on stuff. I remember when I was um, a goalkeeper, uh, I wasn't – I was quite a small kid. Um, I wasn't great from, from like, um, spot kicks. So my mum and my dad had just come down the pitch and just drill the ball at me for an hour and work on that and practice. Like we didn't, we weren't blindly accepting that. I was just like, you know, the idea I was good at everything. It was the idea that, you know, it's just the, not the fear of failing at it. It was never embarrassing if I lost. If I came home and had a game and that's how it went, I said, oh man, we, we've got beat or whatever. He's like, yeah, but how did you play? And he'd say, well, I did this and did this. It was pretty, pretty good to be encouraged all the time. And I think that that's been a, a really key part of being best, you know, getting better at CrossFit has been the idea that like failure is not really that big a consideration. Yeah, it's just more about that consistency, yeah. knowing that you're going to improve and keep trying and keep yeah. pushing forward. I said this the other day, I'm trying really hard at the moment. Um, I really would love to, to see if I can qualify for the Masters Games at some point. Um, but I said the other day, you know, even if I don't make it, along the way I've achieved like so many things um, that I never thought I would. And in that sense, it's been it's been 100% worth it. I mean, just this year, some of the things I've achieved, I just, I just, to me, I've personally found them incredible. I never thought I'd be able to do that. And that's, you know, when you surprise yourself, that's a really good feeling. I think that, you know, if I make it, I make it. And if I don't, I don't. But I'm not really afraid to try because, you know, my parents have made me that way. Like, if I told my dad I'd do my best and I didn't make it, he, he, I know he's not bothered. He's not yeah. worried. 
embracing the journey rather than like just the the final outcome. Mm. Yeah, but I think even like inadvertently, that's not been something that I've had to learn. I can't tell someone how to do that. My parents have given me that, you know, and I'll try and give that to Samson. Samson just just encourage him and just don't don't stress about it. And I think that hopefully he'll have that same mentality where, you know, if it goes your way, you know, I'm happy for him. And if it doesn't go his way, I'm also happy for him. Just yeah. what, I, what I won't have though is like my dad, I remember my dad had played basketball once and um, I was on the pitch and we were winning considerably. And I was the point guard and I was showing off. And my dad told me twice to stop showing off. And uh, he said, you're taking a piss, play properly. I'm not here to watch you piss about. And then the third time um, he walked on the pitch, grabbed hold of me and pulled me off the pitch and, and, and um, drove me home. And really? said, you're not playing. He said, you're not playing if that's where you're going to play. <laughs> we were winning. <laughs> no way. Yeah, he just said you're taking a piss. He just said, like, that's not that's not what we're... You're not here to embarrass your opponents. You're not here to mess about. I, pe- I spend money on this. I've driven all the way across Manchester to bring you here. I'm not going to sit on the side and watch you take the piss for the next half an hour. So play properly. I don't play at all. Wow. I suppose that's your dad's, like drilling in a little bit of respect for your opponents. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, like definitely. I think, I think, well, that, that, so as I say, like, you know, there was, and there was other lessons like that, but that's one of them where there's a, you have, they have certain expectations, but they're not necessarily based around winning or losing all the time. Yeah. Well, if you, if your parents listen to this, I just want to say like massive congratulations because I work as a school teacher and I'm always like, you know, trying to motivate and encourage kids. And I think like the thing for me is I'm just like, just try loads of different things. Yeah. And like, just because you parents like football, doesn't matter. You don't have to like try it. Yeah, sure. But I love the fact that your parents seem to have just sort of allowed you to experiment with like any kind of sport and just see, see how you do with it. And if you enjoy it, great, keep going. And if you don't, yeah, whatever, we'll try something else. Yeah, I think so. I think mum, like mum and dad, um, they really like skiing. And they didn't start skiing until they were like in the forties, but they just absolutely loved it. And um, it's been something they've done every year. And even now they're they're seventy this year, and they've just got back from from skiing. And they'll, they'll have been they'll skied fifty or sixty days this year, which is which is a lot a lot for a, for a nearly seventy year old to do. Um, but, but I remember the first few like holidays. They were in the forties, and my dad and mum just like just smashing to pieces. Do you know what I mean? Like just caning it down and crashing. And we had the most fun ever. But if you think there's a lot of like, we were in Val Terenz as well, where my, my dad had a friend who had this expensive apartment and we probably shouldn't have been there, to be honest. We were probably bringing a little bit of um, lower classes to the upper class ski resort, if I'm honest. <laughs> That's um, my favorite to do in life, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, we were a bit rough and ready. But people were like, must have been like swishing down, like super cool and stuff. And everyone's just got that same vibe of like, look how cool and rich we are going down the mountain. And then my mum, dad, me and my sister must have just been like, wham, smash, like caning it down. But they were really good fun. And they just loved it. They just loved it. And they've loved it every day since. Skiing's their favourite thing to do. And I think um, like they had no, even in that sense, they had no fear. Like we had, I remember saying this, my sister and me wore, do you know, like one piece ski suits. Yeah, for like far too long. We were supposed to have had no money. We spent all the money on going there because all I, remember, I look back now and I think my sister must have died of embarrassment. She must have been about seventeen, wearing like a like a secondhand decathlon all in one suit. She must have been sat next to boys on the ski lift, just like oh my god, I look like it's just so embarrassing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean at that age? And we had this shit kit. I remember Rebecca had these like 
these skis that were like borrowed off somebody they were about six foot long they were so narrow like they, it's as if they had magnets on the end like bringing the toes together she couldn't stand upright for more than about a hundred yards she Constant. fell over every two minutes we must have looked like idiots but we're having the most fun ever and i think that's like that definitely represents my family they just well, you know, we they just get stuck in. They just enjoyed it, and they, they are they are to be fair outstanding skiers these days. But that, that didn't come, that did not come quickly. We all just got stuck in and had a laugh. And I say not really that bothered about how you look and how you whether you're winning or not. We're just having fun doing it. You know what? And I bet those um, I'm going to call them like more pretentious type on the slopes. Yeah. I bet they were just looking at you, going, "They look like they're having a great time. Like why are we not having that much of a great time?" So they're probably too worried about I don't know. Making the perfect sort of, <laughs> I don't even know my skiing terminology, parallel turn or whatever. Well, yeah, we were uh, not like that. We were just having a great time. My dad, I think my dad was trying his best, but like, my dad was, my dad was trying his best to do it properly, but would be the first one to get like taken out or like totally make a mess of it. Yeah, it's been good fun. We've, all, we've always had fun as a group. Like we do have a laugh. Brilliant. Um, I love that. Thanks. We had a little, lovely little catch up there. I like to know about family history. I think yeah. like, it does just give like a good reflection of like who we are and sort of like why we maybe present in the ways that we do. So that's really cool to hear about your upbringing and, and your yeah. family. Um, I just wanted to touch on um, your sort of time in the military, um, but more particularly focusing on sort of adapting to life once you yeah. once you left. Can you talk, talk to us a little bit about that? So um, I left, I suppose I officially I left in 2015 in like, I think it was May. But I basically told them I wasn't going back to work from some point about January, February. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't really know how I did that, if I'm honest. A lot of people struggle to go through this process. And um, I couldn't tell you the mechanics of how it happened. But I basically just went, don't expect to see me again for the next few months. Um, I had, I, I was decided, I decided that I was leaving. I was on my way and, um, I just, I just basically just found a way to be like, not there anymore. And then I left and I knew I wanted to do some CrossFit. I wanted to, I wanted to move into CrossFit, um, cause I was competing quite, quite regularly and quite high up. And it was a strong, uh, like a strong drive to do that. And it was during that time I decided to open Gritstone. Um, so I was just pulling together plans really. And figuring out how to do it like I've, our family were only working like the public sector really so my dad was a policeman mum was a teacher um i've got one sister she's a teacher also and we don't really have anyone in the family who's um entrepreneurial i would say we've got lots of different people in the family who do, do lots of different things but none of them are, are entrepreneurial so um setting up a business was one of those things that was at first like i was not worried about it but it needed some figuring out because I, I, it's honestly, I, I, don't know how, how, I didn't know how to go and get a lease for a building or how to start a company or anything like this, um, especially coming from the military where everything's done for you. So it took me a few months. I would say that, to be honest, the military didn't do anything for me when I left. Um, I just left. And there were some courses that I went to that were just just like an absolute waste of time. Um, they just talked to you like your children the whole time um, when, you, when I was leaving. And... I don't know, what can I say? I just felt, I just, the military breeds like certain mentalities, especially in the officers. They all kind of sound the same, look the same and do the same. And I just didn't really relate to any of the, the, the things they were saying and, and what they wanted to do. So I just left one day and then I decided to start my own business and it went well. 
Do you think that having sort of that determination to set up and start your own business and learn about that side of life outside of the military sort of helped you in the transition so that you had something to focus on kind of thing? I suppose so. Um, I suppose. I don't know. Did it? Not especially. I wouldn't say I was the most militarized person at the, at the best of times, which is probably what my old bosses would have said anyway. Um, I worked in really independent jobs, working individually a lot of the time. And I would say that a lot of the officers, I got on with a lot of the officers, but there's a good few of them who probably didn't like me on the basis that I wasn't very militarized. I just, I just don't walk the same, talk the same as at all. And, yeah. um, so I don't think, I think, I think maybe when it came to like becoming demilitarized, it wasn't that hard a step because I was in the air force for a start and we're like the civilian wing of the British military. And, uh, and I was even in even in there. I was walking around with a big crazy mustache, and I was like having a laugh. And most of my friends were off the base, and that's not not normal, I suppose, for a lot of people. Um, so I don't. Know, I, I can't say what I did that made that easier, other than I, I was already one foot out anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So were there any were there any sort of like particular challenges that stand out in terms of coming out of the military or? Not yeah. Really I think I think it sounds silly, but like you, you're very alone very quickly. If you know what I mean, you're just very much on your own very quickly, and you've got to make sure you've got stuff available to you um, outside of that. I mean, for me, is I kept my friendships really close at home all the way through my time. So when I came home, my mates were here, and we've always been here. I never left them to go to the military. I just got a new job, and we, we our friendships maintained in different ways. So they were there for me when I got out. Um, I think that. It is quite isolating, though, at first, because everyone's got jobs and knows what they're doing, and you don't. So so I suppose, yeah, in that sense, when I decided to set Gritstone up and I started moving on it, that did really help. One of the biggest challenges was just functioning in normal life. I remember, for example, I got my first um, water bills, and they were like, I don't know, a couple of hundred quid for Gritstone. And then one day, like, I got like a 1,200-pound bill, which nearly bankrupted me. And I was like, where's this bill come from? And they said they'd estimated it. Now, I'd never come on, I'd never paid bills before. So for me, I was like, what do you mean you estimated it? I can tell you how much data I've used on my phone to the nearest megabyte, but you're telling me you've underestimated me a thousand pounds of water. Like, sod off, that's your fault, not my fault. Like, yeah. you know, if you underestimated it, then you can pay for it. Well, I didn't realize that's the world, not the way the world works. And I didn't realize so like so many simple things like that, I just didn't understand. Um, like, I didn't understand how to pay myself, like or how to do wages. Like I didn't understand I needed any or or all that really, but just just it was it sounds silly, but the absolute simple mechanics of daily life. I could only cook about three things, um, which got really boring really fast. Um, so I got a girlfriend, and then um, <laughs> I say that facetiously, she could cook. Um, <laughs> and uh, no, I just like I just I don't know. It's it's just it sounds like it's the the, the the actual mechanics of daily life. What do people do every day? I don't know. I'd been used to getting up and just this is how your day goes. And I've done that for years. So almost like a little bit like decision making. So having to make every decision by yourself. I suppose if you're in the military, you're kind of guided or you're told what to do. Yeah. Uh, like you say, like the bills and stuff and setting up a business. I think for a lot of people, I know like not necessarily just transitioning from a military background, um, but also just like any form of transition. I think lots of people are calling it at the minute, like, I don't know, the great. I don't know, I don't know, they can't even think of the word, but basically like a change in, everyone wants to change career all of a sudden. Everyone's sort of yeah. like had this type period in COVID and they're like, actually, do you know what? 
quite fancy a change. I'm really passionate about this. I might set up this business or do something different with my life. My mate Chris said to me a while back, like when it came to lockdown, me and him were bulletproof for lockdown because we'd, I, I, I started Gritstone on my own and I ran it on my own for the good first couple of years. So by the time lockdown came, like I'm totally self-sufficient. I can, I can get myself knuckled down at work for a few hours. I can knock my tasks out, no problem. I can motivate myself to do whatever I want. I've been getting up at the same time every morning for literally years, whether I need to or not, because that's just just what I do. I'm not like um, super disciplined about it, but for me, like my day still starts at a normal time. And I think a lot of people, it sounds silly, but they just, like he said, they got to lockdown and they were like, oh my God, I'm so unmotivated. Like I'm so down. How do you make yourself do this? Like I'm so bored. Me and him have like, I know that Chris, for example, has his, um, one of his podcasting setups, like in his bedroom and people are like, how can you like sleep there and then do this there and then work there? How do you just force yourself to do it? I don't, well, we've, me and him have done this for years. I've made, you know, and I think that that kind of bulletproof does in a lot of ways, because if you've, if you've been self-driven and self-motivated and you've put your, you know, your goals in a line and then started going about making your way to them on your own, then life isn't that hard to a point. I'm not going to lie. Like part of the reason I'm changing, changing careers now is because life isn't hard anymore. And I'm, I'm bored. Um, like I love, um, my job. I love being at the gym and stuff like that. But when everything's working, which it should be, the gym has been open for seven years. If it isn't working properly by now, I've made some mistakes, but now everything's working. I'm spending a lot of time being a bit like, I don't know, you know, on a, not on a, on a grand scale, on a grand scale, I'm trying to grow the gym and change the gym and evolve it and create an ethos and a community. And those things are important. But like, those are big picture stuff. What do I do at 8.30 in the morning or 10 or 11? I've run out of jobs. There's nothing for me to do. So now I'm changing careers because life needs to be hard again. You know, I need to find something. Okay. Yeah, that sounds really, well, first of all, that sounds exciting and I can't wait for you to, Tell us more about that part. I don't know if you used to now. I'm going to be a firefighter. Yeah, yeah I'm going to be a firefighter. Oh my God. I'm so excited for you. Yeah. Um, so that decision has come because you are at a stage with Gritstone, with the gym, that everything's running, everything's functioning. You have built it up to the point where it's at now and you're ready for a new challenge. Yeah, like the gym, don't get me wrong, the gym has a lot of work that he's doing on it and, it, you know, it really does. But the point being is that the, the work that he's doing on it is is work that I understand now and I know. I feel like I'm in an area of, of understanding and knowledge and that's quite a comfortable place to be. And uh, I, I can't, I've only realised this after the fact, but I applied for the fire service a while back and got in. And um, I realise now that, that it's the comfort that's driven me. It's just, it's just too... It's not enough. I need to get out of bed, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm lit literally... I can go in, I can do my jobs, they're straightforward... But you've got, I can't be like that for any longer. Like I've got to have something to, to, to do that challenges me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, the fire service will definitely give you that, give you that like massive congratulations. That is, that's it. We're going to have like tricky Ricky fireman calendar. <laughs> that... on, mate, mate. Me and a cat in a tree just posing. <laughs> Looking sweet. <laughs> a tree with a cat in it. I reckon that's the next calendar. Oh, brilliant. I can't wait. We'll I, I, we'll have to wait until um, the calendar's released. Then I can add it to the to the show notes. In my head, I'm like, I'm gonna. In my head, I'm like, I'm gonna go on fight fire. It's gonna be so exciting. What I'm probably gonna do is like cut children who've got cut out of the swings in the park. They got stuck in the park, and there'll be like a cat stuck somewhere. I'll get that out of a tree, and then there'll be an old lady who needs a fire, you know, a fire alarm putting up, 
I feel like I feel I feel like my idea of what I'm going to do and what I'm actually going to do is very different. But you know what? Because a good uniform, hell, are going to use it. No comment. Yeah. Um. Amazing. Now that's really cool, and I'm sure you'll make. Um, it's not like making a contribution to the to the world, isn't it? Like such yeah. a an incredible job and incredible public service. So yeah, we're excited to hear and see more about Tricky the firefighter. I definitely want to go back into service. Me and my dad were talking about this because dad was a 34 year policeman. Um. I definitely, I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed the um, the Air Force. I enjoyed wearing the uniform, uh, being with the lads and stuff. I've loved the gym so much, and I and I, I will be in the gym. It's four on four off. I'll be in the gym a lot, um, but I am looking forward to putting the uniform back on again. And there's something about that that makes me that gives me a level of um, stability and and confidence. Like uh, I don't know if I don't know if anyone I, I don't know any other career, so I couldn't tell you if you've experienced the same thing. But there's 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 definitely a level of um, confidence you get in putting on a uniform that you know in your career and in your, in, your, in your job in what you do that it's that it's a good thing a worthy thing to be doing so I feel like going back into a uniform is, will be a nice period of like stability for me for me like personally even if the job might be a bit a bit exciting or the shifts might change and stuff I think um I think life in a uniform definitely suits me so a few years more won't hurt yeah that's cool I mean I can't resonate completely but back in the day this is like years and years ago I'm talking like when I was like 13 I um I was a marine I was a sea cadet and then I was a marine cadet for a little bit nice they call me sniper gardener and, tomboy. Um, but I absolute absolute tomboy I but I loved it but I think what it was is it I, I, I mean first of all I really love cleaning but like just that regimented element of like going into don't even know it was to the cadets and like lining up and going on these little trips where I got to like shoot this rifle. Oh, it yeah. was so exciting. But again, like just being part of something, like yeah. everyone's doing the same. Everyone's like, you know, no one, when they said at the end of cadets that we had to clean the floor, no one was bothered. Everyone, everyone, because everyone did it. And it this, was just like part of who was day about um football. One of my one of my, my best mates, Lee, is a huge football fan. And he said the other day, he does it. He said every now and again, I have this realization that I'm just watching 22 millionaires just kick a ball around a field. And I'm like, I'm concerned about why I'm shouting at them. But he said, like, there's there's just something about football that makes me driven and makes me happy and like enjoys watching it. And like I said, but being in the stands with your people in your shirts, identifying with your team, like we, we, we're meant to, we, we are we meant to be in groups. That's what we're supposed to do. And um and that's your time with your people, I suppose. You don't need to know all of them to, to, to feel part of them. And I think the same, I think the same with so many things. Yo, I like that book by Johan Hari, um, Lost yeah. Connections. He talks a lot about it. And I think that definitely right. having, having your group identifying it is really super important. If you I think the struggle when you say people are leaving the military is sometimes they've lost their group in some ways. And that's the, the problem they have is they've they've lost their identity because they haven't got a group to identify with. Um, you know. A lot of the officers just come out with a fucking excuse my language, come out with a barber jacket and a and a black lab, and uh, and then realise that they're now the odd one in the in their world, when really, you know, they haven't cultivated much outside of their their military life, and 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 it's hard to be on the fringe all of a sudden. So I think I think one of maybe maybe a takeaway for those military types to take those step out to so start to you know start to start to build your civilian life early so that you can you can identify and you can find your group when you leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually a Johan Hari quote. I think it's like, um, people will choose belonging over loneliness. And so that in order to survive, people will always try to look for a connection in a group. Where And that can come from like so many different 
areas of life. So whether that be, I don't know, my mum at the minute, like she's been on a bit of her own mental health journey, but like she's found this group of people and it's beautiful because, you know, it's more like holistic therapy and she goes to like drumming circles, but it's the first time ever that I've seen her with like this massive groups of group of friends that like go and I don't know, they were at sale water part the other week, like singing in a circle with a drum. But I'm like, do you know what mum? Like one, yeah, great. I love that kind of thing anyway, but two, it's just so refreshing and so nice to see that she's got a sense of community and belonging. Um, it's true, I think, but like, it doesn't matter what the group do, like the, the, yeah. their activity is just a vehicle for being together and it yeah. doesn't matter. Like go and sing in a choir, go and dance at the back of a dance class or do yoga terribly. Whatever it is that you do, like it's worth it if, if for those periods of time you're with your people and you feel like really connected. Um, I think that like that's that's the bit that the that people the people maybe I says I I learn, um, especially as like just finding your group of people potentially or you know in some ways because this is this is an interesting complexity I suppose what do they say loneliness is the curse of the complex mind yeah. like as, I like to feel like I'm part of something because most of the time I feel alone and I think that that's just the way I'm supposed to feel, um, even in my own gym I don't feel. You know, I I love my team in the gym. And the reason I call it that is because I, I I don't, you know, even in my own gym, I'm outside of the team, you know. Um, but I like to, I like to, I like to feel part of it sometimes. Um, but knowing that you're supported by a group of other people. So like, whether you're like directly in the center or whether like you're just sort of on the outskirts, I think having that like sense of, of purpose and connection to, to a group is really important, right? Well, at least, at least in at least in Gritstone, you know, I can I can get a sense of it, even if you know, even if I'm even if I'm don't feel it all the time, you know, I'd rather train in Gritstone in my place as it is than I would train in someone else's gym and feel entirely alone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I suppose I suppose, but I do think that that's that's a I recognize how big a challenge that is for a lot of people. But as I say, like go to yoga and just be do terrible yoga at the back. Go to a choir and sing really quietly. Whatever it is, you know, it's just a vehicle for you to feel part of something. Um, ultimately, and I suppose not, not, not some people natural a natural group people. Um, my mum can fit into any group anywhere. She's such a social person, and she feels belonging. I think with so many people, she's such a relatable character. Um, and so's so's Lee. Like Lee is it? Lee is it? Lee, Lee has this natural proclivity to just find, you know you know, relations with people, build, build rapport and stuff that's real. Like he genuinely connects with people so quickly and easily. It's, it's amazing. Um, so for those people, maybe they perhaps don't struggle with that and that's fine. But for the ones that do, the people that are more like me, I think you have to just really put yourself out there a little bit. Um, and even if you don't 100% feel like, as you say, like the nucleus of a group, just to feel at least part of one in a way is is enough to, to really bring some real like consistency and happy and base to things. Because you've all you've always got a thing. And if you say if you're leaving the military, you need to start that before you leave. Because otherwise you, you will literally find yourself, you know, out of options, if you know what I mean. Like, where do I start now? Um, so so you've got to build that civilian life and, and that life outside first. Yeah. And also just having a little bit, there's two things that I want to mention. One is like having a bit of patience with it because, you know, for me, I've lived in, uh, from following on from leaving Manchester, like I lived in Peru for a few years, like going to this country that didn't speak barely any Spanish. I mean, I still don't, it's a bit embarrassing, but, um, and then trying to like find a group of people there and sort of make friends and I was just in this country on my own. 
Um, and then again, like moving back from Peru and then moving to London again, I don't know anyone. I ain't got family here. All my family mm. are like still there back in Manchester, but well, this is really how I found CrossFit. I didn't do CrossFit before that. I just did like yeah. bodybuilding. I just wanted yeah. to be like ripped and go to Ibiza and go flying. <laughs> but like really CrossFit sort of helped me and loads of people now, like all my friends in Manchester who I'm still super close to, but they'll be like, yeah, but Slash, you can go anywhere in the world and like you're always making friends. Yeah. But people don't quite realize that it's still scary, even yeah. as someone relatively outgoing, but like it still can be really scary and it takes patience. Like I didn't just walk in the first day and then make friends for life. Like, you know, my mates in London now, I would class as some of my absolute best friends, but it's built that can those connections are like built over time i didn't yeah. just drop in at crossfit one day and then that was it friends for life going to hendu next week because of that it's like there, there was sort of loads of little steps along the way this is this is this is, i mean like that's why i think people enjoy crossfit in general but they enjoy other things as well i'm just saying that with crossfit in general is because it is like say you move to a new town you could just go and drop in somewhere three or four times and then you've found a group of people that you can start to get along with and, and to identify and move along with and put the t-shirt on put the trainers on and before you know it you're one of the team yeah i think for me personally like i say i, I do feel like an outsider in a lot of things um but on the grander scheme i don't feel that way about crossfit i feel central in crossfit i do feel like i am very much part of like this the, that and i identify with that it makes me feel happy i could walk into any event know what know what i'm about know what it's about and stuff and maybe that's why i, I like well i like it so much because you know I, as much an outsider as i am i'm not an outsider in that and i like i like that and i think that uh because it's good for those individuals who are looking for something a bit more group-based because it very much is individual I, I, I very much train for myself and for my own improvement and stuff but the simple math that you're doing it with other people makes it makes it so much better because you know as you say like it sounds simple, but I remember me and Big Phil at the gym. Big Phil was one of my first kind of best members. Um, you know, we could we could do a training session together and not speak too much socially, but we'd share a barbell and we'd load up the weights and would you'd feel how the other person was feeling and, and share the emotions. And perhaps if you were building up something heavy and you know, you as you say, like say you say you're building up heavy and we're getting me and Big Phil used to be he's, he was a very quiet bloke, he didn't speak a lot um during sessions but like you'd feel his sense of like aggression building up and his focus and he'd drive and determination he'd, he'd want a lift or he'd want to make this weight and you could sense that and support him to get it and something like that and you feel that achievement that he might get again even though you don't necessarily speak about feelings and, and your day and stuff i've very much shared a personal experience there and that's a real that's what I've, i felt like you know you know i've probably said a thousand times as many words to another, I could identify another person a thousand many words to and don't know them any better. Yeah. And yet I feel I, I know Phil exceptionally well because of that shared feeling, you know? So for someone like me who is a bit of an individual, having having CrossFit or training or whatever method you, but something like that for me with Phil meant that I had someone I could relate to every day and I could share things with. Um, even if sharing was a, was unspoken, it's still very personal. Um, it's a great way for people who don't have the words perhaps to find that. And I think that's really funny because at the gym, my gym especially, and it, there's a member that we used to have who, um, I don't know, I suppose he came off as a bit gruff and a bit standoffish and he just he just didn't have much to say, but he absolutely loved his training with us, I suppose. And and then um, he had to move boxing because he, he moved his job. And down there, he's just the same. He stuck it out. I remember thinking on day one, he looks so grumpy. I don't think he's enjoying it. And he still doesn't like he's enjoying it, if I'm absolutely honest with you. But <laughs> but 
he clearly loves it because he's like six years deep in the process and he still looks just as grumpy. But I would suggest that the thing that I'm talking about there is what's keeping him going because it's where he does relate to other people and he doesn't have to speak or talk about his emotions to share them. Um, and that's what's really makes him part of that team and makes him really identify with it. I, 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 do, I do rave about, not rave about CrossFit, but I do love, I do love CrossFit so much for that, for that in itself. Although I'm sure you can do it many other ways as well. I get that. Yeah. Just way. Yeah. No, a hundred percent agree with you. Cause that's for me, that's really literally how I found friends. Um, but it's brilliant. Also just, I just love the enthusiasm. I think I'm going to say that your mum would agree with me here, but like just that enthusiasm for adults just moving their body. Yeah. Um, and another thing uh, just to mention, I know that you, well, I'm pretty sure you've definitely read this book, but Atomic Habits, of course, yeah. I think a lot of people have read that by now, but that idea of if you are sort of like searching for a new tribe or a new group or a new community, finding a group where the, um, the sort of social norms align with that person or new value you want to add to your life. Yeah. I think it's really important. So for someone who, I don't know, has never tried CrossFit before, but, you know, has heard of it and they maybe just want to get a little bit fitter, a little bit healthier, then, you know, instead of going for to coffee and cake on a Wednesday yeah. morning to find a connection, like actually being like, Do you know what, maybe I'll give CrossFit a go for that reason. And that's, that's why I love CrossFit is just how it brings people together and that enthusiasm and encouragement and support for, for one another who are just trying to, yeah, high five each, each other because they're progressing. Um, yeah. and, and that's it. That's it. I mean, like it, it, you don't even have to be progressing. You don't even have to be getting better in my opinion, like as turning up, doing some healthy stuff three or four times a week, just for, just for it, for the sake of it, you know, is that's a bit that I think there's a big misconception about, about like health and fitness. For, for some people, me for me personally, I'm a driven person who wants to get better and do stuff and win things, and I can't help it. I can't switch it off. But we've all got to recognize we've got to be healthy. We've got to move. We've got to be active. And there are far fewer opportunities to do that in just general daily life due to the nature of work, travel, transport, those kind of things. In which case, we have to synthesize opportunities to move and be active, which for a lot of people is going to mean you're going to have to go to a gym. Because your job doesn't involve moving around. Your life doesn't involve moving around. If we're going to have to go to a gym, then you can pick a methodology that you can enjoy. But also, you can pick the goal of that methodology. My granddad never trained a day in his life. He never exercised a day in his life. But he was a big, strong fucker. And he was very fit. That's only because of his labor, laborious life. Yeah. He would never think of going to a gym, but also he never was bothered about having muscles. Well, the same thing can now apply to just most people. One of my best mates was a farmer and he couldn't go on the farm for us like six months for whatever reason. He started putting on weight and his cholesterol went higher. So he came to my gym for six months. The goal wasn't to make him muscular or anything like that. He just said, I need to get back on exercise and activity. I need to just get, you know, get control of his weight and get my movement back. And that's all we did. We did exercise for the simple purpose of controlling his weight bringing his health back into a line. And then when he was when he was able to, he just went back to farming again. And he looks great and he's perfectly healthy. You don't need to be competing or smashing weights to want to do, to need to do, to need to do exercise. And you certainly don't need to do it to enjoy it. If you always come to Gritstone and you said, hi, I'm just a generally active, healthy person. And I just want to kind of like stay healthy and, and stuff. And I know I've got to exercise. So would this work? Yeah, of course it would. Absolutely, of course it would. I will not push you to deadlift double your body weight. I will not push you to 
smash a 10k race if you want to turn up three or four times a week and get a bit sweaty and get a bit out of breath and do the good shit that you know you should be doing i'll high five the crap out of you at the end of a session and wave you on your way and you continue doing that until you are either are either too old to continue or bored and you find something else and do that instead and i'll wave you on your way for that as well people need to realize that that like it's, it's not there's not two sides but it's not polar there isn't no exercise or exercise to be unrealistic like unbelievably competitively fit there's a million things in between and i support all those as well yeah. you know gyms 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 are necessary because we don't have access to move so much so i think like a lot of people push back on the idea of a gym because there's too many people flexing and being fucking annoying if i'm honest they just they just annoy the shit out of me um, because they make it they make it unrealistic for so many people to go when so many people don't need to do that level of fitness. They just need to go in and do some things to, to, to live. Yeah. Yeah, so that annoying. is so funny. That is funny. I can, I can sense your passion about that topic. So I've been to Gritstone. I, I love it. And actually, the reason I haven't been recently, I don't have a car anymore. I've sold my camper van, which means traveling oh. when I get to Manchester is a nightmare. Um, but yeah, it's a brilliant gym and like the vibes, the energy, everyone was so friendly. I remember, I think it was Anna, like first time I dropped in, yeah, like awesome. it was a partner one and like zero, like, you know, that, that bit awkward moment when you're like at a new gym and you're like, oh my God, it's partner one and I don't know anyone. And like within five seconds, she was like, hey, do you want to be my partner? And I was like, oh my gosh, I've got a friend. <laughs> yeah, identified with another really lanky person. Yeah, yeah. We together. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. and yeah, it was such a nice vibe. How do you then sort of like manage within your gym and in your classes having people, I suppose this is probably a really easy question and I'm, I'm sure that many people already know the answer, but like, how do you manage having sort of just your everyday person that literally just wants to come, move their body, get a little bit healthier, isn't particularly, you know, focused on getting their bar muscle up or going to the games yet. Um, in comparison to someone like I know that you went to the games with like Charlotte Coburn or someone who is performing at like a really high level um just how do you manage that you just have outstanding coaches like and you just gotta like we mainly have it we mainly talk about it differently there are coaches and there are instructors instructors are the people that have, have given a series of movements and they take a group of people through those movements as written they don't make any decisions they don't use any common sense and that makes up about 90% of the people that I've ever worked in a gym with. And I, and I hate to say it, but they just, they, that, that's what their impression of delivering fitness is. This is what's written. So this is what I'll deliver, yeah. which is different to a coach who builds relationships with the individuals in front of them. And my coaches, uh, either the part-time coaches or full-time coaches have been picked because of their ability to relate to people and see that this person, their encouragement is needed just to have a good session, enjoy their health and their movement and keep going. But also that this person really wants to go to an elite standard. But but if you understand that and you have a little bit of like common sense, you can say we're doing like tomorrow, tomorrow I'm teaching um, an introduction to bar muscle ups. In my lunch class, it will be um, a more uh, like beginner group and people that are there more for health and fitness, they come in during the daytime, there'll be some mums in there and things like this. Um, and then the 6 p.m. class will be all my competitors. But in the lunchtime class, we're not going to not do bar muscle-ups, but I've already written in the notes for my coaches, the goal of that session is to get people above the bar, which is really scary. It's really, really high up. Like, I don't know if anyone's done a bar muscle-up. Anyone who hasn't, you know, will know the nerves that you get when you're that high up. 
So my goal is to take them through the movement preparation and the understanding of how to do a bar muscle-up, but I would also love everyone the experience and the challenge of getting over that bar. And it'll be sweaty, it'll be hard work, but they'll hopefully not notice because they'll be too busy trying to achieve this, this getting over the bar kind of vibe. Um, and that will be that's that's what I want them to achieve. And I want them to feel that. And I want them to sense the, the bit of fear and a bit of nervousness and a bit of excitement and the win of doing it. At the same time, those people will have moved for an hour of good work and challenged themselves. So they'll have got those ticked a box for healthy, they'll have ticked a box for their fitness, and they'll have ticked a box for themselves, personal challenge, and it'll make them feel great. Then in my evening class, I know that 6 p.m. is a particularly competitive group. The goal will be that a handful of them will probably get their first muscle-ups, and some of them that have muscle-ups will try and get them better. So I will deliver the same progression under the same process, but I will identify differently to this group of different people with different wants and desires, and I'll just push them differently. And their challenge will be to do them snappier, faster, more powerfully, under different conditions. So the, we're doing bar muscle-ups, and the, the, the actual mechanics of how I teach it are broadly similar, but just how I relate how I relate that goal to each one of them will be, will be a little bit different. And I think that that's the difference between an instructor and a coach. And I'm not going to lie, I see some extremely high-level people writing coach, and I see actually just extremely high-level instruction because they can't bend and flex to who's in front of them. If the athlete doesn't meet their standards... The athlete is clearly not doing something right. They can't look inside themselves and see that as a coach, related like relating to your athlete and understanding the why on a bad day is important. Is, is as important to understand the why on a good day. You're just an instructor. You're just delivering a two-dimensional program. You are not flexing for their different the differences of, of, of their why. A good coach, my mum is one of the best coaches I've met in my life, can coach, um, she's coached um, brand new athletes at like, say, six, seven, eight years old. Mum used to teach dance, dance classes to three-year-olds. And yet mum was Kevin Sinfield's um, favourite teacher. My mum was on the pitch on Kevin Sinfield's um, uh, final match. She brought, uh, he brought her on the pitch. Like, mum's, mum's coached the greatest rugby league player probably in his entire era. And she's taught three-year-olds to dance because yeah. she's a coach. And I'm not, and this is a real bugbear I've got at the moment as I'm watching people throw, use, misuse the word coach and disrespect the title because they're just instructors. Yeah. Yeah. No, like resonate with that loads as a teacher. I mean, if I ask any of the kids, you know, oh, what have you enjoyed today? They'll generally tell me a connection. So they'll be like, oh, well, when Miss so and so did this and asked me about my weekend or whatever. And it's those like small things that really matter. No yeah. one actually, none of them are going to say, oh, it was when I learned about trigonometry. Like, don't care. But also, <laughs> yeah. never be relevant ever again in their life. But yeah. it's actually though that sort of like developing that relationship with the, with the human in front of you yeah. and not just focusing on, oh, well, I need to get them this skill or as a teacher, like I need to teach them this because it might be in the exam. Um, but yeah, getting them to buy it to I get why it's so hard for on every level because sometimes you'll try really hard as a coach to to get something and they won't get it and the difficulty is you have to look inside and be like it could be that they're not getting it because they are they are they're in some way misunderstanding or they are confused or it could be that I'm not good at not that's good at teaching it yeah and a lot of people don't want to look and look back and say I'm not very good at teaching this to this person. I, I, I personally, at the moment, I'm teaching um, some gymnastics to people. And for, for 90, 99% of people, I'm outstanding at teaching gymnastics. I know that. I know I am. 
but there's a couple of people at the moment I'm trying to teach a couple of skills to, and I cannot break a barrier. And that is very frustrating. And it's too easy. It's just too much of a cop-out to turn around and say, that's the athlete. It's not. It's not. You know, I will figure it out. I, you know, and I, th- I just say, I'm, I'm very passionate about this. There's, there's, there's a lot of athletes at the moment on programs that are coming off their programs because, you know, they can't keep up or they can't do whatever. And they're feeling like it's their fault. Well, in that case, you're being instructed, not coached. Um, you need flexibility. You need you need a, a relationship, rapport. You need to communicate. And uh, and you as an athlete need to learn to communicate how things are going, how you're feeling, where, the, where things are working, where things are not. And you as a coach need to do the same thing in both directions and, and learn. Um, I really, I really enjoy Gritstone. That's, and that's how we kind of try and try and make it for everybody. We're not the most successful business has ever been, but we work pretty good. Um, I think we'd be a more successful business if we were more of a templated design and didn't, didn't look at the individual so much, if I'm honest, it's not probably not, you know, getting more people through the door, farming them through the door and then knocking out classes would be economically speaking better but that's just not what I would like to do. That's not how I want to spend my time. Um, there's a lot of great, I mean, for example, some people want that though. Some people don't want rapport. Some people honestly get, they spend all day at work talking to people, switched on, social. They get to the gym and they're like, fuck off, do I want a conversation? They just want to stand up in a line and knock out a session. That yeah. is absolutely fine. That's absolutely great. And I respect that. Again, part of the recognizing it. So, like, actually, yeah. do you know what? If, if that's what someone wants, fine, then then yeah, give them that. Sure. You need to recognise that that is what they're coming to the gym for, just to switch oh, off yeah. and oh yeah. Well, well, like your question was about how do we differentiate between our athletes at Gritstone, where we've got such a good community and we've got differences in skills. Yeah. That's how we do it because that's what we do. Not everywhere has to do it the way we do it, but I think I think there's there's room for both. But you, you, I think there's a lot. Of, you, you can't pretend to be both. You have to have some sort of like actually quality control there. Um, yeah. Our coaches are absolutely outstanding, um, especially in their relationships. I think I think I'm at a point now, like pretty much ten years deep, that I can teach any coach how to teach a handstand press up or a or a, or a you know a pull up or whatever. I can mm-hmm. teach you that. I just can't teach you how to be nice or how to listen or how to you know reflect. So when I'm looking for um, coaches, that's what I'm really looking for because the, that's the bit I can't I can't give them. Um, you know, I certainly I don't know how to give them that just yet. Um, yeah, um, how not to be a dick, Manuel? <laughs> exactly right. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. Don't be wrong. I don't, I've got a little bit of time for being a dick sometimes. I mean, like we all got we all got to stress that side too. <laughs> um, okay, I know that like we've taken up a lot of time. There is one more thing. Can I have yeah. five more minutes? Yeah, five. Then I'm, then I'm gonna have to dash. Yeah, five. Right. Minutes, okay. Yeah. This is a little bit deep, so yeah. I know that we're only like just gonna cover the surface of it. But it is an area that like I'm really, really, really passionate about um, mental health. Yeah. particularly men's mental health, um, whatever. Yes, I'm a female, yeah. but yes, I care about men's mental health. I care about yeah. everybody's, but um, biggest killer of men under 50. Um, and I'm just massively concerned about the things such as we hear the term all the time, like speak up. I've got a band on and people are sometimes we wonder why I'm showing you, but I mean, nobody else cares. I wear this band, which isn't particularly pretty, but um, it means a lot to me. And on it, it says speak up. And I was talking to someone the other day and they were like, why do we say that, though? Because speak up and say what? What do you want me to say? <laughs> like, it's, you know. Um, it's hard, like, I, I had depression and, um, you know, you flip between two feelings. One feeling is so... Um, exhausted of of any sense of happiness that you just want to break everything 
Um, and then another feeling that's just like, I don't want to move. Like, what's the point? Anything. And I seem to flip between, I'm going to smash and burn everything down to, I, I literally do, couldn't care about anything. I don't want to move. And that's a really difficult place to be because when people say speak up, like it's very hard to, it's taken me literally years of being well to explain even those feelings. Do you know what I mean? Because they're very consuming feelings. You can't really think reflectively when when I when I'm, I'm li- when I'm, I'm bubbling for, for all day to just crash my car into the one in front of me, just because they're fucking annoying me. Like the world's so, I felt like the world's so against me. I would I want to drive my I want to accelerate my car into a junction and smash it all up because I hate everything. That's such a consuming feeling that. It's hard to just speak, say like this is how it, like, this, you just can't speak about it. There's no reflection, and equally the opposite one where you're just in such a level of despair and uh, and out of control. Like you feel like you know your life's not yours anymore, and you can't control it, and it's all beyond you, and you just want to drown in it. Like it, I, you feel like you're drowning in it, but I wish I actually was. That's the feeling. Again, that's such a consuming experience that it's hard to just speak about it because you can't even identify it it's such a big feeling i think that what i'm really interested in is just is just why overall people get into this situation i don't think when you're in it you're lucky to be able to find yourself enough to do something about it i certainly feel that way i was lucky to i was lucky to be able to identify that feeling enough that i could actually act on it and and go and, and get help the only thing i consider is that we have to try and stop people getting there in the first place because I because when you're there you're kind of fucked you're in it your your aircraft has lost control and you are just spinning you know top gun moment like the plane's going down um i think that to stop people getting there is the key and i'm 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 going to be honest like i just get so frustrated about the polarization of how we're going to treat men men even need to be more like feminine and expressive and sensitive and you know, I don't re- relate to that even a little bit. Like we're trying to make men soft and 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 take away all their masculinity and give and a new new to them to the point where they can't even identify them identify with themselves as men, where their own feelings of of passion or anger or or physicality or whatever it is are wrong feelings. So do you think that's causing confusion? Yeah, like, my, 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 I, I feel aggression from time to time. That's not wrong. That is the state, state of evolution and physiology. But as a civil, as a civilized man, I understand that those feelings are just feelings. The same feelings I have for happiness and love and care and respect. But you, to, 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 say, to, to try and take away these feelings that we have to want to push and, and pull and be aggressive at times and do these things and to speak in certain ways... To take that away is to only make the situation, the world more confusing and contained. And I already told you it felt like drowning. Mm. And then on the other side of it, we want men to just, and I say man up, and I don't mean it in the sense of like, we all hate the phrase man up, but I mean genuinely like we want, you, you can't ask men to take responsibility and girls want this nowadays and girls want this. And I want a man, I, men go out cheating all the time. Men go out fucking talking to other girls, men fucking doing this, men doing that. Like you can't, you can't hit me with all of this men need to man up and and start sorting themselves out when it comes to this 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 and this subject but men need to stop sorting themselves out and just become part of everybody else and round their edges off on this 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 and this 
do you want us to be would you want us to man up and take responsibility for all the things that you don't want but then but then but then settle down and suppress all these other bits and pieces and this is this is this is this is a situation i constantly i've constantly found myself in and it's 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 debilitating because you don't know what to do do you think that um the term like man up like I, i've heard so many times in the past like maybe like in my background and i'm not going to call anyone out but you know um where men have maybe said to their kids and i've seen it like even within my family like oh man the fuck up stop being a little pussy and i really hate that term but like all of these things do you think that that has made men sort of worried to be anything else and then all of so they've been told for all of their life like man up do this be strong be heard take ownership take control like have all of these like high sort of leadership traits that are manly as in quotation marks um but then all of a sudden they're being told like open up calm down suppress your emotions a little bit do you where, this, where we that's exactly that? what I'm talking about that's exactly what I'm talking about but like when people like you've just put like those things in, like in, in inverted commas like like they're manly yeah but they are yes but they are evolutionary yeah. they are yeah evolutionary but, but, they are yeah, we're not gonna, we're not we can't switch that off in 300 years what's been bred in 80,000 so so they are but we have to also just because they are manly doesn't mean they're not feminine as well so as many of those leadership traits that we just said are qualities that would perhaps define a classic man we can't say they're not manly because quite quite honestly speak to an evolutionary psychologist and they'll tell you they are what we don't have to do is make them exclusively masculine. What we can say is those traits are equally identifiable in a huge population yeah, of females. Yeah, I was exact, just exactly what I was going to say is we stop, can we stop giving everybody like set traits? Yeah. And just be like, oh, yeah, we it's, could all be. So like I, can, I, I identify with all of those traits. I identify with a lot of classic masculine traits. And accepting them is, is, has been extremely important to my well being. That being said, I don't hold them in a little bank and say they're mine or ours i just yeah. say identify with those traits and i find them to be my expression of masculinity and they're healthy yeah. i'm healthily competitive i'm healthily driven i'm healthily motivated and at times i'm healthily aggressive because anyone who's ever watched me play rugby or sport will know that i am i'm healthily aggressive but i'm also a caring parent i'm a compassionate friend and those are perhaps less masculine, but I, I, I am those as well. And, I, and I, I, I really identify with those. What I'm saying is on the female spectrum, there are women that there are women like yourself that probably relate hugely to the classic feminine ideas of, of care and love and friendship and communication. But I know just as much you're aggressive as I am. I know just as much you're as driven as I am. Get me and into I will, a competition. I will be that yeah. aggressive and competitive person, yeah. In trying to find a solution for these difficulties we're having with men's mental health or men in general, the difficulties, let's just say the difficulties we're having with men in general, yeah. we're afraid of men to identify with these classic masculine traits unless it's in a circumstance in which it's beneficial. For example, sport or a relationship, starting a new relationship. For me personally, girls would like you to start a new relationship and I've, I missed a lot of good relationships on the basis that the girl just did not find me what's the word for it, like a pursuance enough. I wasn't forceful enough in my pursuance, which is classically masculine, but I'm, I, that's, that's not the way I understood I want, the, per, the man that I wanted to be. I thought, man, aren't supposed to be like this. I'm trying to get out of depression. I'm reading my books. I'm like fucking, you know, Chomsky and the shit out of stuff. 
and and what I learned is that is not helpful in finding a girlfriend. She can be as enlightened as shit, but if you don't make a comment about her ass, she ain't interested. <laughs> now that actually came back to me in genuine feedback. Um, so, so you want so so what we're saying is you would like me to give you the room to express your side of the things in this sense, and you would like to me to choose when I release when I when I put these emotions and these feelings out there. Now, that's a confusing place. And especially, this isn't just women on men. This is men on men. For example, in the workplace, men now expect men to act differently in certain circumstances. And they put police that. And they're not, they're not giving space to that. For example, in the police, there's a huge problem we've got with the police at the moment with very, very unhealthy men doing terrible things left, right, and center. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a percentage of police in the UK that are, that are a real fucking problem. And they, can't, they can't stay out of the news at the minute. But I would say some of that is because there is a culture they've created where there's a fear around some of these classic masculine traits. Now, I would suggest that some of the men that join the police have joined because they identify with those traits and it would be a benefit to the police at times to be aggressive, at times to be driven, at times to be forceful in their behavior. That would make a good policeman if it's civilized and if it's thoughtful. Because we're, we're making this area so confusing, there's a lot of policemen in there that are, that are going to one side and are now not very useful. There's a lot of not very useful policemen, neutered policemen, policemen that are ineffective. But then there's also now a tiny majority that take these traits and express them in criminalized ways. Mm. And that's where we found ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that's half the problem we've got is that, that these men... You know, it's not just a female man, it's a man on men. It's an, the entire culture is made, leading to a lot of very confused people who, who, who just don't know what, just don't know how to how to relate to themselves. And as a result, when you can't relate and identify with yourself, I think you'll probably act in ways that you that are lower than yourself. And that's where people do things because they don't hold any responsibility for themselves. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't identify with even me or my responsibilities or what I am doing and other people then why would I care how I treat them or myself? Mm. If I end up in prison, who cares why I don't care about myself? And if I hurt somebody else in the process, why I don't care about them either? We, like that's, we need people to relate to themselves and relate to these feelings and identity. So as someone who's sort of gone through challenges with their own mental health and is maybe, is at a place where I'm, I'm guessing that maybe you're in a better place now, like what would you say sort of the key tools were um, for you to get you from where you were to where you are now? Well, I think the first thing to do is to start addressing unhealthy behaviours. And if anything, it's to actually go quite strongly, I think, in, in quite a reflective manner and actually stop a lot of things. Stopping a lot of things. Re not repressing, but just, like, just stopping a lot of things. I like so, that. There's so many, sorry to ju uh, yeah. jump in. So, so often we say, add things, do this, try this. But actually, on the other side, if we could just stop certain things, yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, at times, I was at times hyper aggressive or hyper forceful, and I think that reading a lot more books and thinking about my reading the books and reflecting myself, and you know, as you say, things like um, man search for meaning, extreme ownership, um, atomic habits, things like these, these, this kind of like you know, all those same books. A lot of those things, and really thinking about it, made me realize that at times I was a little bit hyper masculine. I was a little bit unhealthily, uh, you know, unhealthy in some of my attitudes, and just trying to rein them in. And think about things a little bit more, have a little bit more compassion, you know, try and relate to other people. And then from there, you can start then, if you're not, if you know what I mean, you can start then to, to really think about how you express these feelings that can be quite, you know, powerful. 
like where do I channel that aggression? Where do I put that, those emotions, those challenging emotions? Well, you put them into healthy expressions like sport and friendship and things like that. So I think that, you know, it's just, it's like anything else. I'm not a polar person. I don't believe in in, in whites and blacks. I believe in shades of gray. And, and I think that for me, it was just finding everything, everything I had that made me unhealthy wasn't in, in any way unhealthy. But anything that you don't take in moderation will be. Mm. And I wasn't moderating anything. Yeah. You know. So it was either at one end of the spectrum or the other. Yeah. I was either a very passive chilled out Richard or I was a hyped, aggressive version. And I feel like that's, and again, I couldn't really, really, even sometimes I'd come away from, say, like the way I behaved about something back then. And I'd come home even shocked at myself and be like, why did you, how did you get to that stage? How did you end up there, Richard? Like the way I'd behaved would even shock me because I had nowhere in between, if you know what I mean. I only knew how to turn feelings on and off. They would literally yes or no. And as a result, you know, I'd shock even myself and that would upset me. And then you would, you'd hate yourself, if you know what I mean. You go into a cycle of hating yourself because of how you behaved and how shocking it was to everybody else and to you. What, you, what I had to do was go through this phase of one, letting all that go. What's behind me is behind me. I've apologized to everybody who needs apologizing and I've paid a penance for that. I've cried more than I want to tell anybody about. But I will not be held back by that anymore. What I will do, though, is going forwards, is I'll, I'll, I'll moderate that behavior and I'll find healthy, healthy, healthy ways of expressing those behaviors. All the emotions I have are valid and all the emotions I have are, are, are good. Even the ones that have been bad were only bad in the way that I expressed them. So you got to just, you got to learn and you got to reflect and you got to figure out how to express this entire kind of like panoply of emotions. And then as you learn to do that and moderate a little bit better, you find yourself expressing healthy and almost like proud of yourself. Like, you know, I had an argument with a guy once and it was a big argument. And I remember coming away and he was just a bit of a dick about it. And I wasn't. And I was raging, but I was so proud of myself. I know it sounds silly, but I was like, you just held yourself together. You express what you express and you walked out and, you know, fair fucks to you. Like, I, I felt really I felt really developed as a person that even though I felt angry and I could have, oh, so fucking annoyed, what I might have done three or four years ago, I would have touched him, but I might have raged and lost myself and felt embarrassed afterwards and ashamed of the way I behaved. Instead, I walked out. I was like, you'd be very proud of yourself today, the way you just said that. That was a really big step forward. And, and I feel like the more you can do that and you build that kind of like sense of pride and self-esteem in yourself for how you behave and how you manage these emotions and how you relate to other people, that's how you get really, really healthy. Because then if someone turns around and says you've done something wrong or you behaved in a way that hurt somebody, you've got a chance of listening then because you've actually, you're actually taking consideration. You're like, well, I'm sorry. You know, if, if, someone, if you hurt somebody and, and they say this, this happened the other day, and you, you've then got power to change it. But it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not going to ruin you because there's nothing worse than, than back in the day if I, if I, you know, if I had some sort of explosion of emotion um, and you feel guilty and ashamed and embarrassed and you've even, say, you've even shocked yourself, there's nothing worse than then somebody else running through the 50 ways in which you just ruined everyone's experience and ruined everyone's time and you're like i know i'm fully aware and now you're just being set on fire by the person next to you like it's just doubly bad so when you can get to a point of, of like self-education where you can do all this yourself and you start having these really good experiences outside of anyone's influence then as you say your confidence gets higher your, your self-esteem gets higher and you, you really start to think a bit more of yourself and that's a really good feeling to have i think and on the occasions where you do perhaps move a little bit more extreme and you are a little bit more out there, you can often turn around and be like, perhaps that was justified. Perhaps perhaps being angry today was was allowed. 
because I'm not very angry very often anymore and I'm very stable. And I think everyone would agree that, you know, that's that's the kind of person that I am. So if I lost my temper, I wonder if it was justified. And then you can speak to a friend about it and you say, today, you know, I really, you know, I popped off today. This happened, this happened, this happened. And it, I found recently, especially Leo turned around and say, no, no, I think I think that's, that's pretty sound. I think you think you're okay there, mate. And you can say, well, thank you know, it's, and, and all of a sudden you're having these conversations where you can reflect on how you dealt with something and, you, and you, you've got the words. Yeah. And then so you can, step, step one is awareness. Step, so yeah. step one is awareness. And then I suppose step two is kind of like adaptation, creating yeah. habits and, yeah. and using that to then overcome sort of where, where, where you're at with it. There's a point at which though you have to, like you said about stop, you've got to stop you know, really apologize, really look at, really look at what you've done in the face and how you've been and apologize for it properly and mean it. Yeah. And then you got to let it go though, because you can't continually be steered by what you've done. You have to be different and you can't go into every conversation. Like what's the word for it? Like say you and I say, say you knew me before I'd got a lot better. I might screamed at you at some point probably probably a very realistic thing that could have happened to you and I if we ever knew each other five six years ago I could have one day screamed at you and been really really awful I have to have apologized to you for that but also have let it go if I'm going to have an actual conversation with you now that realizes that we're going to have a really great time sometimes but occasionally you and me might fall out and I might turn around and be like you're annoying me fuck off that could be justified between you and I right yeah yeah yeah. But if I only considered how I'd ever been, I'd never, ever tell you that because I'd always be afraid that I would always be wrong and always be the bad person and always be a terrible, evil soul. Mm-hmm. When you get up, when you actually finally let go of those feelings and you realize that you're not an evil soul and you, you're trying to be better and you start having conversations like this, then you realize that that sometimes, you know, there is literally room for all of those feelings and emotions, in which case it may come at the day that you've been a dick and I turn around and be like, you're really annoying me. Oh, God. And we're like, always be. <laughs> correct answer, Richard. That was, that, was a, that, was a, that was a real thing. So you have to let go of a load of stuff as well. You can't just, you have to stop, settle down. Really, you have to really, want to really mean it. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, when you've wiped the slate clean and you start again, there's a chance of building something different. But you can't, you can't build it on shit foundations. You just got to get level everything burn it off the ground yeah i like that i'm gonna keep that don't build on shit foundations no well there you go in my pocket um yeah. thank you so much i mean i think we could probably chat about the mental health stuff like all day um and who knows maybe there'll be a second podcast um in the future and i hope that maybe there is where we can delve into it a bit more but no it's so um i'm so grateful that you have nice. had chat with me today yeah um it's been good really appreciate your time i know just how busy you are with the gym training for the quarterfinals the new career um <laughs> so yeah massive 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 thank you i'm literally gonna sort of wrap up to make sure that you can get off to your i just uh i hope everyone listens like i hope anyone listens and enjoys it enjoys it i'm sure loads of people disagree but that's fine as well i think that you know that the only way we get forward though is by just just fearlessly sometimes expressing where you're at and everything's an evolution. Whatever I'm thinking now, I might think differently in two or three years. And whatever I thought two or three years ago, I probably thought differently again. So I just hope like anyone who listens who cares about their mental cares about mental health, you know, at least here's what I'm saying from my own individual perspective. And um 
and if they've got a conversation they want to have about it, they can message me and they can always get me on Instagram. And if anyone's got any problems or they're struggling, drop me a message too. That's absolutely fine. Um, That's really kind. I always sort of feel like a lot of people who are struggling with mental health maybe would prefer to talk to someone who has can really empathise because they've they've been there. I sometimes have found that quite hard when I've been talking to someone. I can I can listen. I know how to be sort of sympathetic and understanding to the best of my ability. But there's also an element like I haven't been there, so I I don't quite know exactly how that feels so yeah i'm sure there's so many people who really appreciate that offer yeah. thank you fine no worries right i best disappear i have to go but i will speak right. to you soon. Thank you so much. a huge thank you to tricky ricky for finding time for us today and also a huge thank you to you our listeners um, I didn't get a chance to ask Ricky where we can find him, um, but I think probably the easiest place is if you search for Tricky Ricky or Richard Hill on Instagram. On there, you'll be able to see links to Gritstone um, and also any of his um, sponsors that he has via his link tree. But super, super grateful. I hope that you enjoyed listening to the show um, and I can't wait to be recording more and to be sharing them very, very soon. Take care, guys. Bye.